Culture eats strategy for lunch and inform cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. With us today is Carl Mayu. He is presently the general manager of Slalom's Los Angeles division, responsible for a very large and broad portfolio spanning industries and a variety of practice areas. His work experience sits across strategy, advisory, services, and operations, both at Slalom and an impressive set of companies prior to his career at Slalom. Carl's insights will be greatly appreciated. Welcome, Carl. Thank you, Sid. Pleasure to be here. In our pre-call, as we were sitting, it's like, well, what insights might Carl want to discuss out of all these different things? I have to say, I love that we use the same phrase to describe the eternal condition of the consultant. The cobbler's kids have new shoes. It was then and there. Yes. <laughs> I knew we would be kindred <laughs> spirits in this way. But then for all the, con- the experiences that you've had as a consultant, we're actually going to start your story today on an internal journey, one wherein the team did get their shoes. So getting those shoes started somewhere. How did the leadership team recognize how to move towards more time with customers, as you said, and less time yeah. general managing? No, thank you. You know, I always say that whether it's tragedy or when you're faced up again, struggle is always the greatest motivator mm-hmm. for change. And, you know, I don't catch myself quoting Rumsfeld too much, but it was one of his favorite quotes that said, never let a good tragedy go to waste. I use that as kind of a, of a mechanism to kind of drive that in our organization, you know, especially coming out of the last two and a half years of, of the pandemic and then realizing basically, you know, so much of the basis of our business has changed, whether it's mm-hmm. you know, the avenue of remote working, also the desires of the, the constituents we serve, clients, our employees across the board and across for a dimension, really strain an organization in how do you drive and serve our clients to serve our employees more, you know, with better efficiency or productivity, should I say. And one of the things that we found that really made it difficult in already strenuous situations was the fact that we had to make decisions, many times decisions that really don't have a precedence. And with data or access to data across very disparate systems, and it took us an enormous amount of time really to get an accurate picture of what was going on in order to be able to determine exactly how to react, how to even predict basically what to do as much as you can do in the, in the context of the, you know, the last two and a half, three years. And it became inherent to us and so forth that you know, in order for us to be competitive, in order for us to basically keep up with the new paradigm for our business, we had to spend as much time in front of clients as possible. But we also realized that a great part of that was an inhibitor to that was just the internal operational inertia that was caused by all these disparate systems. And many times, even myself, having to create these massive sheets <laughs> in order to be able to collate the data that I needed to be able to run the business effectively. But that required so much time. I mean, I would literally spend times where I would have to carve out at least five to 10 hours a week to be able to keep up with it, maintain it, 
and also be able to determine what can I trust in order to be able to use that as a mechanism for me to make data-driven decisions. And when you propagate that against, you know, my leaders and across an organization, it's kind of really what we were alluding to in our earlier conversation, Sid, when we talked about basically that, you know, we wanted to be able to find ways to make it easier for us to do business for our clients, easier for us to support our employees that are out there also supporting our clients and removing that friction from the equation uh, in order for us to spend less time generally managing, more time serving our clients. And there's, I have to imagine that there is this, let's say, push and pull that happens in that in that new world where you're trying to get this information. So I didn't get to ask you this beforehand, but are you a fan of the In Search of Excellence book? I am. I am. I think it's a great book. I think it's it really alludes to excellence, but in a pragmatic way, because many times also in the search of excellence, may we. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this old adage, right? Stepping over a dollar to pick up a nickel, right? <laughs> yeah. But the the reason I bring that book up, though, is that in many ways, I'm going to presume some of the things that were breaking down for you. You mentioned the different push, you know, the different dynamics change because you have a customer dynamic changing. You have their right. customers dynamics changing. You have workforce dynamics changing. And yeah. so one of the things that, you know, that balance in many ways in the search of excellence is, you know, be data driven, but don't be the to the data. There's so much more That's that right. goes on. So you're part of the need for what you had or what you needed to change is that all of your past understanding, which allowed you to drive good gut decisions, well, that information, what was in your gut needed to be updated. How are you going to update that? That is absolutely correct. How are you going to change like Carl and Carl's, you know, his leadership team's mindset? And they, that's what you need. Yeah. Well, so, and that's absolutely correct and spot on. And and I would add even just even our internal folks and our employees and so forth, their expectations around their interaction with us as leaders, as an organization also shifted and changed. Mm -hmm. And so to your earlier point, it's just that across the board, I would look at it from my 360 degree perspective all the sands were shifting and we couldn't operate on their past assumptions in order to be able to effectively navigate through the current times. You mentioned generative events or things that shifted that really brought this need up. So, and it, it's hard to change hearts and minds and it's even Absolutely. harder to, to get budget to change things internally when these are happening. So what did you and others use to percolate this general understanding that status quo wasn't going to work and, and it was a dire need to change? That's a great question. Uh, when I think about it, I don't know if it was one thing that I reflect upon that drove it. A lot of us, my peers across you know the country and all came into the same realization that we were doing the same things individually in yeah. order to be able to manage our business. And I think it is that real, realization that collectively, and when you look at this in aggregate, collectively, the amount of time and effort and still doing it in, in all our general assessment, kind of, you know, I would use sometimes maybe the expression, you know, I was going to say basically half-ass, if you will, for lack of a better term. I'm <laughs> 
Because, you know, it just, it just took so much time and it's manually intensive in many ways. And, and we know that anything that's manually intensive, basically, you have to basically allow for a certain degree of error. Mm -hmm. And it can only be directionally corrected best. And, and when, you know, we actually compare notes many times and found that we are basically all struggling with the same thing and cycling it with the with it approaching it in our in the same manner, you know, with slight variations between it and and making those demands of a centralized organization in order to be able to provide better data and so forth. I think it is the aggregate demands coming against a centralized organization that really led itself to the need for consistency across the board and the ability to have to basically, you know, either automate, provide better tools, better data, so forth. Better ability also to, you know, to manage your business behind the scene and spending less time, as I mentioned, doing it as individuals. Uh, so I think that was really the impetus that drove it on top of the fact that there was a recognition for us as an organization as we grew organically, not only within the, the bounds of uh, the United States, more globally, that there are other considerations to be considered, right? such as, you know, different currencies, different rules and everything else like that. That even the systems themselves were basically, you know, we have we have outgrown them so long ago. We stretched them to their limits, and there is no mechanism by which any centralized organization can support it. And we've recognized that we basically it's was an inhibitor to our own growth. This a little bit of the blessing and the curse of slalom having grown Absolutely. so fast, right? That you yes. have. Your company has been on an amazing tear this last decade and plus. Oh, honestly. absolutely. And so the uh, when you self-funded growth and, and organic growth, and it is not easy always to pause when you're having that and to say, there's many things we've been doing well. There's many things that we have done to improve how we do our operations and our services. Well, this one just took a long time, longer than some of the others to pop up. It so did, did anybody... I was going to ask, did anybody, because you've probably had many customers say this, and this, it just goes back a long time in this business, but did anybody in the room finally say, we're a billion plus dollar business running on Excel? Yeah, <laughs> I did, I, because we, we hear it and we see it with our clients, many mm-hmm. of our clients, and you're often surprised with the, you know, you have these, you know, Fortune 500 clients and so forth, and, you know, finally get to look under the hood, for lack of a better term, and you're like, wow. When you really stop to think about it, Excel is really at the heart, at the core of the business, irrespective of what ERP systems may be in place and things like that, because you know there are the processes that are on on paper, and then there are there the processes and the operational processes that people basically do to make business work. And I think we all compare it to that basically. And even when we think about that, the majority of information sharing were on spreadsheets. And so, so I think you, I think it was a realization from that perspective that we look at across the board that you know Excel played a, such a large part of our operational business, like it does for a lot of companies, you know, small, medium, and large. That if we really wanted to basically drive do more with less, mm-hmm. we also had to create a mechanism by which we've gone through our own internal transformation, digital transformation, to be able to support that. And it's funny, we tend to look at things a lot, and we as the consulting world tend to look at things a lot and say, well, 
why haven't you had that insight so far? What, you know, how can I help you do this better? And I, I remember, yeah. and I will still hold on to this, you know, this gentleman's face for a long time. It's a buddy of mine, but we were first starting to work together. And I think I was providing, would they ask for a critique and I was providing the critique and what I thought that they should do. And I realized that it was coming over a little too harsh when he said, you know, Sid, we're really good at groceries and retail. That's why this isn't as good as you expect. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, re I'm really sorry. That's true. Your, your value proposition to your customers isn't this IT function or isn't this data function. It's everything else, right? And yeah. so I get why this thing has fallen down. And it's the same thing for, for you at Solemn. Your value to your customers is the service that your very That's talented right. people provide. You mentioned the dynamic changing and then taking advantage of this dynamic. Did you have any of your peers that didn't quite believe in the need for that journey and you had to work to get them on board? I don't believe we had peers as far as basically other general managers that didn't believe that journey because we all faced it. You know, we mm -hmm. were in the front lines for lack of better terms. I think the dynamics were really around, you know, as we're all having conversations as a leadership, an executive leadership team, and, and also having conversation with our internal operations support or, you know, and our folks that are actually making the decisions because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not inconsequential as far as the time, effort, and resources and money needed to be able to support such a decision to, to really understand basically and have the conversation, is this the right thing to do right now? And as a business, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're all essentially employee owners in that sense. And anything like that has an impact on where, you know, that investment can be served and continue to grow the business and support our clients. And we are always organically expanding our ability to be able to meet our customers where they are and support them. So it was really around that conversation around if we're going to do it, how are we going to do it? What's the timing associated with that? What are the outcomes we want to have as an organization? And what needs are we going to meet to that to the, to, to that end? And what are the things that basically are really going to be basically deferred to another time? The conversation really centered around those points, as you would imagine, mm -hmm. as any clients that we had, you know, especially when you're taking such a large undertaking, like any ERP system, right? As you think about it, because yeah. we're looking at that because you know some of the things that we had were you know were somewhat antiquated. And uh, making that decision to make that investment and knowing exactly, you know, how do you bring, you know, the right resources to bear in order to make this, you know, successful as possible and making sure also it doesn't have an undue burden to our ability to serve our client. Underline that point you just said, we always ask these questions of our customers. They don't always, aren't always the best at asking the questions, that, this question themselves, which is. What are the outcomes and what, are the, what needs will be met? Like, what am I striving yes. for? It's like, I don't build a dashboard or build better analytics to build better analytics and have a pretty visual. I build it ostensibly to make different or better or faster decisions. Right? I have found in the past customers have avoided answering that, not because they, they don't know this is an important question. It's because they know there is a whole variety of needs and answers around that questions. And it wakes up the age old politics around, well, who's got the bigger need? That's how right. did y'all, how or, did y'all wrangle that? <laughs> um, truthfully, truthfully, it was, 
clumsily, I would say, because you run into the same challenges that I think as you described well, the clients run into. And, you know, sometimes it exposes, you know, politics that just lie under the surface more than anything mm-hmm. else. It's not what's, you know, it's it's really the friction that lies just below the surface. <laughs> and and you also run to a much like organization where we have, you know, organizations that are much larger, much more influential than some of the organizations that are starting up or markets that are much smaller, much like, mm-hmm. you know, clients have lines of business that have much more influence because they drive more of the revenue tend to have basically a, a bigger bigger seat at the, at the table. So it's managing through all those dimensions, I think, more than anything else in to ensure that we're not basically, you know, designing something for the current situation and also not taking into consideration also what the future operating model should look like as well as making sure also that we're not also orchestrating in a way just to accommodate a legacy line of business or a legacy market that is not basically representative of the way we want the operating model to be consistently across the organization. So that's why it took an enormous amount of time to really work through that. I think more than we anticipated, much like I think our clients also run through that, it takes a (laughs) lot more time of getting to a point where I think you have it as best as you possibly can. I don't think there's never perfection, just right. I think it's like when you're you're basically trying to push legislation to Congress is, you know, you know that you're going to have something where everyone can live with, but no one is ecstatic about. <laughs> okay. I, I do I do understand that one. And so at <laughs> some at some point though, you'll after the kind of the dust settles, you And everybody uses a different terminology. I always love to say the problem and opportunity roadmap, right? Like we have both problems we're trying to solve, opportunities we're trying to pursue. So at some point- I like that one. You know, arm wrestling happened, you know, maybe some, you know, back, you know, back doors, like, hey, I'll trade you my peppermint candy for your, you know, your Thin Mints and all this (laughs) stuff, all that stuff went went on and you ended up with, with the roadmap. And, and is it, in in your part in in Slavin's parlance, did you end up with that roadmap first and then started, or do you think there were were there some early pilot initiatives to go test value in certain directions? How how did you validate some of your understandings or the desires to move forward? Well, I think we had also we looked at across a lot of different markets because there were some markets that were doing some already doing piloting within the you know their center of control. Mm-hmm. They've they've had specific programs where they were able to basically unearth data, where they were able to get connections and drive certain insights, so forth. So we looked at those, right, to kind of think mm-hmm. about, you know, kind of look at best practices that are already happening in our okay. macrocosm of organization across the board to understand basically would those basically fit the bill if we're able to operationalize it across the entire organization and use those as basically represented examples to determine exactly which should the representative outcomes be. And I think that was the starting point to basically inform on the roadmap itself, agree on specific outcomes across the board because it's tangible, right? Rather mm-hmm. than basically, you know, requirements on a, on a piece of paper, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because then it goes back to the book that we both like, right? Which is yeah, intentionally you know, having some measure of duplication that happens, i.e. these different markets 
you know, the, the general managers yeah. of different markets doing their own analytics, but then you were able, you know, Slalom was able to take that collective wisdom and say, all right, now we have a market basket of people doing similar things and each one of them doing a slightly different thing. And now we have the opportunity That's to take right. the learnings to see what worked really well and now apply that to others. Yeah, and I thought it what I what I appreciate about it, it had another benefit. I think the benefit was really around change management. Because many times what we find a lot of times also you have a great mousetrap, but it's only as good as as individual willingness to use it. And going through that pattern, I think really helped smooth out that 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 premise around basically, you know, reducing change management because we knew our peers we're using it. And so there is a certain level of trust in that sense, because it's not someone that doesn't understand our business, doesn't understand basically what we have to go through to manage it and support our clients, support our people that basically had something that we ourselves that inherit knows basically the nuances of our business. So I think in a sense, it was easier for us to accept. And as we think about that, without thinking about Bacon taking a chance of something that's being created in a vacuum, and then now we've had to make it work. And, and that's like, it's funny that you had to have that same premise internally that we also have to present to our clients all the time, right? Exactly. They, exactly, they look to yeah. us and say, I know I can read that. I can read the papers. I know that that's the right thing to do, but does it apply to me, right? And you had to say, I, I need the consultant's experience and show me how you've done this three other times with clients similar to me so you can walk it through. And then and you all had this benefit of having, you know, you and your peers being able to sell to your other peers. Like, here's my part. That's this right. worked really well. So how, how much do you think that played into the successful adoption of you know, this broader, you know, this broader platform and broader insights play that y'all did? I think it's huge. You know, you know, you think about basically in the business that we're in, time is everything. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you know, what we're doing essentially is, you know, the services are part the time and the time that we take away or time that basically it's going to either become a benefit or inhibit our ability to serve, you know, has direct cost associated to, to our ability to be able to be successful in our business. And we're measured by this well too, right? Yeah. I mean, it gets down to utilization right? yeah. <laughs> at that particular point in time. And so I think that was huge when you think about something that we can see working that in many ways required, you know, minimal lift because you were basically taking something that's already working. It's been kind of, in a sense, battle tested in a sense, you know, especially, you know, we've been able to, take a couple disparate type of markets to try to pilot it. So small market, large market, medium-sized market, you know, brand new market and things like that to pilot it just to make sure that we can work out the kinks and identify basically gaps that we hadn't seen through it before, you know, introducing it, you know, more broadly to all the other markets, I think went a long way in helping to basically reduce that stress. Awesome. So it's an interesting Thing, the story on how y'all landed there. And I'm curious now to see if this state of learning. So there's this beautiful thing in Slalom allowed y'all to do some innovations, right? Like, you know, yeah. not, not necessarily go revamp the whole business, right? But make inno do innovations 
so that each market could learn a little bit, serve its customers. And then those innovations now bubbled up and were very helpful in a time of big change that was needed. So had, how much was that recognized? It's like, well, we now all adopted, we set baseline was here before. Now we set a higher baseline, but now we still need to allow for innovation and customization. Was that a recognition as you all went through this transformative journey on your analytics and insights? It is. And I think it was, it was a recognition was, was spoken about pretty directly. I think even further, just and really allowing and clarifying conceptually around those things that we're going to all commit to and align to doing consistently across the board. And those things that still allow for flexibility into customizing it for the specific needs of your business, right? I think at the, at the heart of it, we all wanted to be able to agree that around data as a record, around what data is going to be basically universally accepted as basically, you know, standard bearer for specific attributes, right? Or specifically, and then what are those things obviously that you can also take to, whether it's, you know, drive greater insights specific to nuance, because we all service different markets and those markets have, you know, their own qualities, their own nuances and so forth. And we're all different places also when it comes to the maturity of our business yeah, across the board. So with that has different needs around, mm -hmm. you know, the information, and the insights that we want to drive with it. And the ability to do that, I think, was very powerful. Understanding also underlying that, that we have consistency around basically when we say, you know, what is revenue? <laughs> what is profitability? <laughs> Those things mean the same thing across the board, right? Yes. Yes, there, there's some, <laughs> absolutely. There's some of those metrics you do not want people coming up with their own definitions of. But exactly. Yeah, point. <laughs> Oh yeah, point absolutely. Because I have to imagine like some of your emerging markets, right? They're not going to have yes. year over year history like you have, right? So That's they're right. going to be looking at yes. traction metrics. Like, how am I doing? Like, That's I'm going to have a target list of customers. Do I have insights into those? Am I landing conversations? Like they're, what they're going to need to do is very different than what you do. Absolutely. Well, Carl, you know, this is the fun thing for you now is you get to tell the real transformative story to your customers. So. That's what right. would be a couple of things? <laughs> you know, I'm going. You, you know, I'm going to ask this question. So now, looking yeah. back at it, looking back at it, is there any way you would have played your cards differently? That's a great question. We say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Reflect upon that one. I think one of the things we were always there was a lot of anxiety. Maybe is, is the best way I can describe it leading up to this and as we're going through this, because you always fear, and much like our clients, I think about, and I have a lot more empathy in a sense around mm -hmm. the fear of change, because there's always basically the presumption that change is going to make things harder. And not knowing basically the thing you're going to get when it's all said and done, is it going to make life better or harder? Because it's always comfortable to be with the things that you know, right? Even though you still have to run through imagination to make it work. I think playing differently was really more, for me, I think playing differently is the patience to kind of basically, as you're leaning in, as you're driving through the process and so forth, and, and allowing it to, to, to carry its natural course. 
because a lot of times also it takes a few tries to really get it just right. So I'm not sure if that answered your question. Nit, that was a beautiful answer. I love that you led yeah. with em- I love that you led with empathy because it it is my my team would say I oft repeat, you know, service, you know, interactions. Yeah. And I use any, whether it's something as well. And I got to use the renovations that we did recently, had beautiful people do it and they did an amazing job, but it doesn't keep me from, even though they were um, exquisitely professional about doing everything, very good at communicating, it didn't keep the anxiety. And then when like one little thing, yeah. the communication piece dropped and the anxiety went through the roof, it's like, oh my, you know, That's cool. We lived in the house while the reservations were coming on. We decided oh, it was just going to, it was good. <laughs> we just decided it was going to be easier. I kind of looked back and said, yeah. is really the right choice? But you know, so <laughs> it, just trying to be good at drawing like real life experiences. And so- you That's know, a great example some, though. It, it said that the empathy piece is huge. So I love that you led with that because even when the change I want to go to is the change I want. It doesn't yeah. mean it's easy or that I every day I wake up excited to do it. That's exactly it. And that's why it was the patience for me, I think, as I think about is also an important one. I think it goes hand in hand with empathy because there's a natural progression that things take. And many times we try to rush things through near inherently design it with basically future pain. And yeah, and barring on barring on your analogy, obviously around the internal res- re- you know, renovation that you gone through and living through it, and of course, you know, you don't want to live in that for too long. And basically, but at the same time, also, you want to make sure that the outcome that you get and the work that you get kind of basically sustain over time, right? And you get mm-hmm. good value over time associated with that. And and at times, basically, you know, no matter how you know exquisite and how talented from craftsmen they are, certain things have to take a certain time in order to be done well. And and I think that's that part also, you know, we tend to live in basically, you know, immediate gratification type of mindset and and not realize that when it comes to certain things, especially things that are going to have such an, you know, integral impact to our lives or integral impact to the client serve or ability to do that, that it requires the patience to make sure it's done well. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree because from the technology angle, and you and I have both been in technology for a while, it's, there's a bias towards thinking that, well, it's all ephemeral, so I can undo mm-hmm. and redo some of it very quickly. But particularly yeah. in the data, it's hard to undo or redo decisions that were made, particularly if those decisions had incredibly negative outcomes for people. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard also to really understand the implications. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> until unfortunately it's too late or you're spending twice as much time basically trying to basically mitigate. Yes. Well, Carl, where does, where do things go next for y'all in this innovation journey? I have to imagine there's a quite, while you hit a lot on the laundry list, you know, there's new laundry every day. Well, there is. There is indeed. You know, it's a great question as well. I think many times also, you know, like many of us, we're always asking ourselves basically, you know, what does that look like in the other end as far as the transformation is concerned? I think even when we look at 
more from more a macro perspective, me personally, and I think about even the business of consulting, right? You know, as things continue to basically evolve, we seem to be basically coming to at least seemingly a point of where we're really coming out of the other end of all the challenges that we've overcome. I know obviously everyone's talking about the implications around AI and what does that mean for our business? What does that mean across the board? I think, you know, those are all the things that I don't, I don't have the answer specifically, nor that do I have that, that, that magic ball. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, it becomes even more imperative. And I think the imperative for, for having a data culture, the imperative for being well-rooted and in outcomes, being well-rooted. And when I call it, you know, for lack of a better term, Knowing thyself, what I mean by as far as that, to be able to determine to determine what you're going to use as a north star by which you're going to drive an organization and culture you want to basically uphold, I think that data becomes even more imperative and more important in how to apply that, especially in the avenue where we're going to be further and further in from the intricacies of those decisions, right? I underlined that one as well. I love the the know thyself and North Star comment as as well because you know there are many ways to make money. There are many ways to be a company, Same. right? And every every progenitor of each one of those companies, whether they happen to still be there or not, all started it with a specific intent or purpose, whether that was, you know, to build airplanes or cars, computers, paper, you know, publish books, any number of things. Each one picked a particular passion around which to go build a company. So that know thyself, that North Star, to your point is we have we have to stay true to that or intentionally move towards something different. And then that tells us the questions that we need to be asking and the data that we need to be seeking, you know, to further right. inform and drive decisions. And I'll leave you with three things, Sid. I think one of the things that I appreciate about Solomon where they were very intentional and in saying, these are three enduring things that we want to help our clients and, and think about also how we also challenge ourselves internally. Mm-hmm. And it's around basically helping organizations move faster and, you know, build better tomorrows and, and ultimately, you know, help them basically live and love the work that they do. Right. And when I think about that, Inheriting that and saying, okay, how do we ourselves continue to, you know, challenge ourselves, continuously improve in order to be able to make that a reality and be able to live up to that aspiration? That's awesome. Well, Carl, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a very informative journey. I know so this it wasn't is fun. Gonna a, I, I... Wasn't going to be a quick one for y'all. So I know that there's like a lot yes. of, but. <laughs> Both fun and pain and joy hidden behind yeah. every one of these statements here. So, Carl, where can people find you these days if they want to connect? Oh, great. Here, it's a great, I think, you know, obviously connect and LinkedIn. That's always a great way and for as well, too. I think I'm probably the only Carl Mayhew in LinkedIn, so it won't be hard to find me. <laughs> if there is, we're probably related. I probably need to meet that individual. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and as well, too, please. And if there's interest, I'm very passionate about this topic, very passionate about transformation and change as well. Not only so much to be able to share, but also to learn mm-hmm. as well as from other perspectives as well. 
please hit me up. My email address is carl, K-E-R-L dot Mayhew, M-E-H-U, at slalom.com. I'm happy to, to have a conversation and happy to make new acquaintances and happy to learn. Excellent. Well, thank you so much today, Carl. We will talk again soon. Sid, it's been a pleasure. As always, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host, Lee Harper, on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.